thing is found in page 1067, uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter, John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 25. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak through it to our hearts. And we pray that you will do that this evening and that we will grow closer to you, that you will grow us in our love and knowledge of you. We pray that you will change our lives to be more like yours. In your name. Amen. Uh, This is the middle of the story of the woman at the well. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his his words, many more became believers. They said to to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much for reading. Do keep that uh, passage open. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, we heard, didn't we, John the Baptist declaring that Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, coming to fulfill that uh, glorious promise we looked at at the end of Isaiah. Instead of uh, your shame, you will rejoice. Uh, No longer will they call you deserted, for the Lord will take delight in you. As a bridegroom rejoices over her bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And we saw that claim powerfully uh, affirmed, I think, in that wedding that takes place in Cana. Uh, As that uh, bridegroom on that day fails to deliver... Um, we see Jesus very humbly and quietly uh, stepping in, uh, becoming that great rescuer uh, and provider, uh, being uh, willing to bear the cost, as it were, to save the day, turning inevitable shame and disaster into, gr- into great joy. 
But last week, I think we saw what Jesus means when he says, I'm the bridegroom, in an even more wonderful way as he encounters this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well. Ed reminds us, didn't he, that wells in the Old Testament were often pick-up places, places to meet the man or the woman of your dreams. And as this unlikely encounter starts and the conversation begins, we discover that this woman's story is one of broken dreams, of men and husbands who failed to, to satisfy, failed to deliver, failed to quench that nagging thirst that she has. Uh, perhaps the fact that she's living with her sixth man without marrying him describes something of her disappointment and her cynicism growing. But as that conversation uh, develops, Jesus offers this woman uh, living water, the only kind of water that can truly satisfy uh, that raging thirst. And as Jesus begins to, uh, to open this woman's need, I suppose, in this very gentle way, he um, discovers that Jesus is uh, the bridegroom, uh, the one who to know and love and to be known and loved by is life in glorious fullness, the one who turns shame into joy, uh, who truly loves and delights uh, over his bride. And if you remember, the conversation ends with this woman speaking about this great wait for uh, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who will bring truth and reality to God's promises and deal with all the confusion and mess. And in a moment of electrifying disclosure, Jesus says to the woman, I, the one speaking to you, am the one. Well, as this story develops and the implications of this revelation continue to, I think, reverberate in what follows, let's ask God to to help us see Jesus pressing his own claims and call on our lives this evening. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the chance to follow this uh, gripping story and to discover what happens when someone discovers for themselves that Jesus uh, is your promised king, uh, the bridegroom. Please continue to, to thrill us with this truth and what it means for us. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, last week, if we were witnesses of this wonderful uh, marriage taking place, uh, tonight our focus, I think, is is on mission. Uh, If last week we got to glimpse what it looks like to be in this marriage, uh, this thirst-quenching relationship with Jesus, um, tonight I think we get a glimpse of what it means to be on mission with Jesus. And I think we'll see those things very connected in the life of this woman. Uh, just this week, I was talking to a very lovely guy who was trying to persuade me uh, to consider being part of a, a board of a charity that he, he works for. Uh, we chatted, and Dave soon was enthusing about his organisation and its mission. And soon it became very obvious that Dave was really passionate about his work. I, I imagine getting up on a Monday morning for Dave is not a problem. Um, and as he threw his energies uh, into his work and got excited about it, so he was, in one sense, enthusing me and getting me excited about that same uh, mission that he's been involved in. Well, I wonder this, morning, this evening, if, if you're a Christian, uh, whether you're clear about uh, the mission you have been given and whether you're passionate and energised uh, in your calling. Uh, recently, I, I was asking someone about what excited them. Um, what got them out of bed in the morning? What was their purpose? 
Uh, he seemed quite flawed by the question. He thought quite long and hard. Eventually he said, it's paying the bills and it's putting food on the table. Uh, in terms of the latter, I guess it's a good thing he works at Sainsbury's. It's helpful, isn't it? Well, tonight we get to see Jesus describing, I think, his purpose and his mission. And at the same time, I think we get a glimpse into uh, what it means to be on mission uh, with Jesus. And my prayer is that as we see both, we'll be excited and clearer about what God has called us into. We'll look down at verse 27. Just as this great conversation reaches its climax, uh, as Jesus makes this astonishing declaration uh, to this very surprised woman, the disciples who've been on a mission to find food uh, return. And I suspect they struggle to hide their surprise that Jesus is talking to this woman. See, respectable rabbis didn't do that. They didn't talk to women at wells, uh, women they didn't know, and certainly not Samaritan women. But although they're surprised uh, and intrigued, I think, uh, they leave their questions unsaid. Well, the, the return of the disciples seems, isn't it, to be a cue for the woman to take her leave and to return from, to the town that she's come from. I don't think she leaves uh, reluctantly. Her departure is not driven by any sense of unwelcome, I think, from Jesus' followers. No, her overwhelming desire, it seems, is for others in the town to meet Jesus, this life giver, this bridegroom. Even now, you sense that this, this life welling up inside her, and now it's about to overflow and, and impact the town that she comes from. And as she enters the town, I love what she says. Uh, I've met a man, uh, someone that you have to meet. Perhaps there are groans, perhaps there's a few uh, in this town rolling their eyes, not another bloke. But this one is different, she insists. He told me everything I ever did. Could this be the promised one? Could this be the Messiah? I, I think we can be pretty certain that Jesus hadn't given her a blow-by-blow -blow account of her entire life history. Not in an hour or two. But as she claims, he has revealed, hasn't he, his deep knowledge of her. Just look down at verse 18. You see that, don't you? He knows all about her, all the details of her life. But do you see, even more than the bare facts of her life, Jesus, in this offer of water, has fully captured, hasn't he, the central story of this woman's life, that, that, that thirst that drives her, uh, the empty wells that she's tried to draw from, that search for intimacy and fulfillment in all these relationships that has left her so unsatisfied. And knowing in her words that the Messiah is coming and will reveal everything, and now hearing Jesus declare that he is the one, um, she now runs, does she, back uh, into her town. And maybe it's not just the words that she speaks, but something about her excitement and about her joy that dispels that cynicism, I'm sure that would have been expected. And soon the entire town is coming uh, to meet Jesus for themselves. It's very exciting, it's very dramatic, uh, and, and, and perhaps surprising. We're going to pick up the story as it, were, as it unfolds um, in verse 39, a little bit later on. Uh, but before they and the women get back uh, to the well and, and we pick up this conversation that goes on, um, so the disciples have returned, haven't they, with the food? I assume they've left Jesus because he's weary, he's exhausted. And we see something, something of their concern as they, 
as they come back to the well. Rabbi, they say, eat something. They're worried, aren't they? He looks tired, he's exhausted. Um, That's why they left him there. But Jesus' response in verse 32 just confuses them even more, doesn't he? Um, But he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So they start kind of asking each other, well, no, did someone bring him a packed lunch? What happened? There's a kind of sort of echo, isn't there, of the conversation that Jesus had with the woman. Uh, Jesus talking about, about water. The woman's confused. And now he's talking about food, and the disciples are confused. But again, Jesus spells out what he means. Verse 34, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's Jesus' understanding of mission. For Jesus, his mission is nothing less than the full submission of his will uh, to his Father. That's his great purpose. That's his meat and drink, if you like. And he's committed to doing that mission. He's committed to seeing it through, as it says, right to the very end. I wonder if we see what we see, understand. I wonder if we understand what Jesus is saying. Um, uh, taking food as a picture. Something that is essential, isn't it, to our physical existence. Something that we're wired and sort of purpose to seek and work for. Now Jesus uses that same picture to reveal what drives him. Uh, to describe his purpose and mission. What, su- what sustains him. And what is his overarching desire? It is to fully submit to his father. So to lay aside his agenda uh, that he might have and fulfill Uh, that mission that his father has given him. That's more important than anything else, even more important than physical food and even more important than life itself. And read on, and we discover, don't we, that submission to the father will cost him everything. Indeed, it will mean, won't it, laying down his life uh, for his people. Indeed, he will declare his mission complete as he cries out on the cross. It is finished as he breathes his last Uh, for us but here's the striking thing as Jesus describes uh, to his followers what being on mission means for him I think he's opening their eyes and our eyes in the same way to what it means for them and for us uh, to be on mission with Jesus I think Jesus is hinting that uh, coming to know him means being introduced to to a whole new purpose for living a mission that is even more important and more satisfying than life lived just to put food on the table or to pay the bills, to simply exist. Knowing him, uh, following him, calling him Lord and submitting every part of our lives to him, uh, being caught up in his plans and purposes in that same posture of submission, that's at the very heart of our mission and what it means to be on mission with uh, Jesus. Of course, lots of people, they kind of balk, don't they, at that call. They hear that call to submit, of laying aside our plans, perhaps, and our agenda to follow the, the will of Jesus. And it sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds scary. It sounds like the kind of mission that's going to exhaust us and deplete us. It doesn't sound enriching, does it? And that's why we need to hear the words of Jesus as he speaks about mission as, as food, Food that satisfies, that enriches rather than depletes us. And that is the food he offers you and he offers me. I think Jesus here is offering us a a very revealing insight 
into a principle about what it means to be on mission, to be involved in Christian service and all its shapes and forms. Of course, there's always that danger, isn't there, of burnouts. Perhaps there's a danger for some of us here. But the truth is, if, we are, if we're fully committed to Jesus, uh, if we choose to share in his mission, we will discover this very surprising principle at work. We experience this food that satisfies that we can find nowhere else. So let me ask you this evening, are, are we on mission uh, with Jesus? Is it a kind of no-holds-barred commitment? Or are we maybe holding back, somehow fearful that uh, if we were to commit fully, it would leave us empty and depleted? Maybe you're a young person here and you're just not sure about this kind of commitment uh, to Jesus. We kind of think, wow, what would it cost? And perhaps we wonder if there's a sort of halfway in sort of uh, commitment. But here I think Jesus is saying that if we are only half in, we end up missing out. We end up missing out on this food that, in, that enriches us and nourishes us. And missing out on a life that is amazing and exciting and satisfying. Uh, this is going back a few years, but I remember forget a time when one Saturday morning we decided we'd go out and do some questionnaires um, in Chesham, uh, giving out some literature and some um, invitations and talking about Jesus with people in our town. Uh, when we advertised the event uh, the week before on a Sunday, uh, one lady came up to me and said, I'll sign up. I'm doing it now because I know that by next Saturday I will, I will change my mind. I don't want to go. I don't think I'm really wired for this, but I feel I ought to. So I'm going to do it. So sign me up before I change my mind. I wasn't quite sure that to sign her up, really, with that kind of you know, enthusiasm. But anyway, she um, signed up, and Saturday came, and she dutifully turned up and headed off clutching uh, some questionnaires and invitations. And I remember at the end of the morning, as we regathered, uh, she was a completely different person. The expression of fear was gone. Uh, she was energized. She was, she was buzzing. And, uh, and you could see some of the excitement, I think, in her eyes. To my surprise, she confessed to having very few fruitful conversations, if any, that morning. In fact, they were quite frustrating. But she said, talking to people, people without faith, if nothing else, it brought home to her the preciousness of her own faith, of having Jesus, of knowing him, of being called into mission by him, having that purpose in life. She spoke to one lady, I think, who said that their purpose was shopping, she was encouraged to think about the purpose that God had given her you know, on being in mission with Jesus. So her eyes were opened and she was encouraged and she was satisfied. She was filled up, as it were, not depleted in a surprising kind of way, discovering that indeed following Jesus, being on his mission, is indeed food uh, for our souls. And here in our passage, as a physically weary and depleted Jesus gives himself to that mission, uh, the mission of his father, He's energized, he's satisfied, isn't he? He's fulfilled. And this is the dynamic, I think, of, of discipleship, of being on mission. The more we give oneself to Jesus and serving him, the more we are filled, the more we get to enjoy him. And perhaps that's a, some of, for some of us, that's a challenge for us tonight. Perhaps we might acknowledge that our spiritual lives feel a bit dry. Perhaps our desire is to sort of protect ourselves, to conserve our energy, to, to avoid depletion, to hold back. Um, that's not the solution to be, um, to be doing that. That's really part of the problem, perhaps. Just about managed to come to church and get filled up to receive, but 
perhaps you've not understood something about how being on mission, how the dynamic of being on mission with Jesus works as we trust him and obey him. So what hinders us, what hinders me from fuller submission to Jesus and his purposes? My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. I think Jesus has lots more to say about a mission, uh, about his and ours, and, the, and that's seen, I, see, I think, in the rest of the conversation with uh, his disciples. Uh, and notice what he wants us to grasp. is all uh, connected to this, this picture of harvest. And even as he speaks, I think we sense that Jesus is excited. Uh, there's an excitement that almost overwhelms him, even eclipses any physical hunger he has. So look at verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months to harvest? That's the first proverb Jesus refers to. Notice how he goes on. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I think the proverb's clear, isn't it? Don't go looking around for daffodils and daffodils in January. That'd be a waste of time, wouldn't it? Don't try and harvest a crop of asparagus in March. It's pointless. And it's true, the natural world has timescales for planting, doesn't it, and reaping. But here Jesus says, what might be true in the natural world doesn't apply to this spiritual harvest that he's looking to gather. Look, he says, even now the fields are ripe for harvesting. I was thinking, where do you think Jesus is looking as he says, look? To the fields, maybe? I wonder whether he's pointed that crowd of Samaritans that are heading down from the town towards the well. I think that's part of the drama, actually, of this moment and why Jesus is so excited, that harvest, that gathering of people into his kingdom. All kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds uh, is becoming reality. And it's happening right in front of his and his disciples' eyes. The Bible has a lot to say about this harvest, but the headline here, I think, is that as Jesus arrives, and ever since then, that harvest continues, doesn't it, to be gathered in, often in remarkable and unexpected ways. Indeed, in every generation that, uh, that continues, we see that work happening and we see that harvest being gathered. It's good to be reminded of that, isn't it, at times? Um, wasn't it great, I think, over the mission to hear stories of people like Gary Grant or, or Tobias Brown um, over that events week? Sometimes stories that were surprising, seemed unlikely, even impossible as people were welcomed into God's kingdom, harvested by the gospel going out and touching their lives. Well, Jesus continues with his agricultural picture. And now I think Jesus is reminding us that uh, being on mission with him will involve working as a team, but each playing different roles in that one great enterprise. Read out, look down at verse 36. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you out to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I think the big idea is clear, isn't it? For there to be a harvest, there needs to be sowers, and there needs to be reapers. Normally, of course, there's a gap, isn't there, between sowing and reaping. But here in this chapter, we've seen sort of sowing and reaping happening almost side by side. Jesus sowed that seed, didn't he, in, the, in this woman's life as he proclaims the gospel to her. And almost immediately, as she hears that message, she receives him as saviour and messiah. 
And before we're finished, that same woman turns from uh, receiver to sower as she herself begins to spread the good news of Jesus among her community. I think what Jesus is saying here is that uh, whatever our responsibility, whether we find ourselves sowing or reaping, we're not only uh, sharing in the same mission, but also we get to share in the same joy, verse 36. Because normally, isn't it, it's the case that joy is reserved for the one who does the reaping. But Jesus reminds us here that this is not a sort of zero-sum game, but rather as we work as a team, some praying behind the scenes, some on the front lines, some helping to, to clear roadblocks to faith, others helping at the birthing of people into the kingdom, we all get to share in the same mission. And says Jesus, to get to share in the same joy. Well, just in any harvest of the sowers and reapers, so Jesus, I think, encourages us not to diminish different gifts and responsibilities and others, or to envy those gifts and responsibilities, but I think to play our part and ultimately to share in that joy. One commentator writes on verse 36, both they that sowed and they that reaped shall rejoice together, and the great Lord of the harvest shall have the glory of all. Of course, that is a reminder, isn't it? Ultimately, it is Jesus who does the heavy lifting here. It's his harvest. He's the one who guarantees the fruitfulness of the harvest, first by giving up his life that he might impart life, and then he, by his spirit, opening up hearts to receive that seed so that the glory ultimately goes to him. But as we share in Jesus' mission, uh, so we work together. And wonderfully, as we share that joy of serving together, so we share that joy of the harvest at the end. I was hearing a story recently from someone I know who spoke about a young guy in his church called Chris, who recently came to faith. Um, a fellow Christian student had witnessed to Chris and invited him to a couple of services. And in just a few weeks, it seemed, uh, this guy who'd been a fairly convinced atheist gave his life to Christ. Remarkable. It's only at his baptism a few months later, a couple of months later, that the friend who'd witnessed to Chris met some of Chris's family at the baptism and met an uncle and aunt and said, we've been praying for someone like you to meet Chris, befriend him, and share Jesus with him. And so together they had a chance to show that they'd all had a part to play and they were able to share in the joy of that wonderful day. Well, who knows uh, what opportunities uh, that we will have even this week to be involved in that work of the harvest. Uh, praying for a colleague, maybe, or a friend, uh, seeking to, to live openly and distinctively uh, for Jesus, pointing others to Jesus in his word. Um, maybe even having the, the privilege of, of leading someone to Christ. Maybe we will never discover uh, how we've been used by God until that final day as the harvest is fully gathered in. But what joy Jesus speaks of and invites us to share in. So let's look for those opportunities prayerfully and um, keeping our antenna up for ways to play our parts. Well, very quickly, did notice how the passage ends? Um, if at the start of our passage the disciples were surprised that Jesus would be speaking to this woman, I guess they're flawed, aren't they? Um, by the impact this very young Christian has as she begins to speak to others about Jesus. John tells us that many from that town came to believe in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. 
And as Jesus spends time uh, gathering in this surprising harvest, yet more become followers and get to meet Jesus for themselves. What an impact this woman has. It's remarkable, isn't it? But as her community reminder, in a real sense, she has simply been a signpost, helping them to meet Jesus for themselves and to truly discover who he is. We no longer believe just because of what you said, said said they tell the woman. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Well, it is a huge, isn't it, and glorious discovery to make. And if you're still exploring Jesus, uh, you haven't yet arrived at your conclusion, then let me encourage you to keep hanging out uh, with those who have made that discovery. Um, and spend time with those who will joyfully point you to Jesus. And let me urge you to keep listening to Jesus, to keep hearing his words for yourself, all the time asking him to reveal himself to you. There's nothing more wonderful than discovering that Jesus knows everything about us. He's under no illusions about the mess and the misdirected pursuits in our search for satisfying life, and yet he's come to be our saviour. And if we are Christians, I hope this week uh, we want to be in mission mode, on mission with Jesus. To be honest, so often I find many excuses to avoid the call of Jesus. And here in this passage, in the story of this woman, those excuses are shown up for what they are, aren't they really? Just excuses. Often I tell myself that if my life were more sorted, I'd witness more than that. Or if I had all the answers to difficult questions that my mates asked, then I would be up for sharing my faith more. Perhaps uh, we think there are many here at Emmanuel who God would rather use than me. But I think this story of this woman blows so many of those excuses just out of the, wind, out of the water. I don't think she knew a whole ton of things about theology uh, or about apologetics but she had met Jesus and knew Jesus. And the joy of that reality was something I think that spoke volumes. She was thrilled to declare what she does know rather than being anxious about what she doesn't. Well, let's be the best signposts we can be. Uh, Not trying to be the saviour, but joyfully and enthusiastically pointing others to the one who is. Let me end just by sharing a a really wonderful and convicting conversation I had with someone from Emmanuel just this week, yesterday. Uh, Some of you might know Maria, who comes normally on a Sunday morning. Um, She hasn't been a Christian for that long. Um, And she would be the first to say there's lots she doesn't understand about her faith. But she was sharing just how she invited a friend, someone who's been very dismissive of her faith, uh, to church this week. Um... She had one of those uh, Christmas cards that we've been encouraging people to give out with those events on for the, the coming Christmas season. And she simply said, why don't you come? And surprisingly, he said, I, I might. Um, it was very bold and audacious, but Maria, in a very sort of quiet and humble and gentle way, um, loves to be on mission with Jesus. Uh, she loves to point people to Jesus, simply because she loves him, wants to fully obey him, and knows in her experience that she 
that he truly is her saviour and the saviour of the world. Let's pray as we finish. Father, forgive us when we make our mission so small, maybe working for food that perishes, uh, missing out on the opportunities to, to nourish our souls in serving your great mission. So as we submit our lives afresh to you, please remind us of that great harvest you're gathering in, even right now. May our growing joy in Jesus and joy in sharing about that harvest excite us and encourage us even this week that we might be your signposts on the lookout for those that we can point you to. Thank you, we haven't got to be experts, but we are called to be enthusiasts. Please help us, even as we spend time with you, to be excited about all that you're doing in our lives and all that you want to do through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.